0: Today's Old Testament reading is a responsive reading found in Isaiah 53, 1-11 and also in your bulletin. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before Him like a and like a root out of the high ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar suffering. Like one from whom many, had a he was despised since we have pleased to Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted.
1: And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our enemies. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his
0: wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was, he was, was oppressed and, and afflicted, and yet he did not open
1: his mouth. He was led like, like a lamb to
0: the slaughter, and as a
1: sheep before the shearers silent, so
0: he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After
1: the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life.
0: He is satisfied. His knowledge and his service justify me, and
1: he will bear, and bear
0: their burdens. Today's New Testament reading is found in Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord.
1: God. Let's turn to the Luke twenty four thirty six passage we read with Marjorie just a few moments ago. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have for the last three years been in the gospel according to Luke. And probably next Sunday will be, the last Sunday will be in the gospel of Luke for a while. We close it out. Uh, I'm looking forward to the message this morning. I love this passage that's before us. This has been a wonderful study that the Lord has blessed. And if you're visiting, so you're with us on the closing days of this study, and we are glad that you are here. Before we look at Jesus meeting the disciples, the risen Jesus meeting with the disciples in that upper room, let's pray together and ask that Jesus who was there, ask him to speak to us this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests. We come before you, all of us. You've called your people not only to be prophets, bringing God's word to the world around us, but you've called us to be priests, to bring the world before you in prayer, to bring our families before you in prayer, to bring our children before you in prayer, to bring our fellow saints of people who are with us in the sanctuary before you in prayer to bring our neighbors before you. And we pray that, Father, I pray that you'll teach us to be priests, to take this calling seriously. What a privilege we have. And so this morning, Father, we pray together. We pray together for those that aren't here this morning. Uh, we pray for Frida and and Charles Yancey. and We pray that you would bless Frida in the home where she is. and Bless Charles in his new abode. We pray that you would give him grace and give him strength as he visits Frida and cause him to be an encouragement to her. We pray that you would speak to her as only you're able to speak to her. Bless Jim Bennington this morning, Father. And may he know our fellowship and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit where he is. Our Father, we thank you for Billy Griggs, that he could be here this morning. We thank you for him and for the help that you've given him, for the encouragement that he is to us. We pray that you would bless Billy, bless Jim, that they might look forward with anticipation and teach us to look forward with anticipation for what you have prepared for us. Our Father, we thank you for the health that you have restored to Different members of this congregation, we thank you especially for how you blessed Matt Osborne and have raised him up and that he'll be able to return to school. We pray that you would bless our other college students. Father, where they are in these secular, these cathedrals to secular education and to the secular world, we pray that you would cause them to stand firm and actually grow them. In those places for Jesus Christ. And now we pray as we open your word that you would speak to us. John Sartell cannot teach so that we'll make any difference in our lives. He can't speak so that we'll be changed in the very core of our being. So we pray that once more this morning we would hear your voice in this place. We've heard you before. We know your voice. You've changed us. Father, continue that change and maybe change some for the first time. Father, bless us. Oh, open your word to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to understand and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story and the power. When Jesus first appeared in the room, He made them understand that they were not seeing a vision or experiencing some apparition. He showed them his scars. They could touch them. He ate with them apparitions. Do not eat. Ghosts do not eat. But he ate food, digested food, was with them, saying, I am physically risen. But put yourself in Jesus' place. What do you want to get across to these disciples? What do you want to tell them just that you're risen? What had been their problem? They had bought into his identity. Remember when he said, who do you say that I am? They knew you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But then as he spoke about his mission, they were all confused. Messiahs don't die on crosses. They were so into their own presupposition of what the Messiah would do that they could never grasp. The reality of his mission. Remember how crushed they were. The men on the road to Emmaus said, past tense, we had hoped he was the one, but he wasn't obviously because he died on a cross. Messiahs don't die on crosses. What did Jesus say? Remember when he met those men on the Emmaus road? We saw it last week. What did he say to them? Did did he just say, I've risen? No, they they didn't even know who he was at first. What did he do? Look at it in verses 26 and 27, chapter 24. It's there on your scripture sheet. Was it not necessary? He said, men, don't you understand? It was necessary that Christ should suffer. The Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures, the things concerning himself. After. After he convinced them that he was indeed back from the grave in that upper room. He did exactly with the disciples in that upper room what he had done with the men on the, May, on the way to Emmaus. Look at it. it. The scriptures are similar. Look at verses 44 and 45. Then he said to them, these are my words and I, that I spoke to you while I was with you. Don't you remember I told you that I would die? Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. He was saying, gentlemen, the cross was not a mistake. The cross was not the story going to foul. It was necessary. You can imagine for the next 40 days, every time he met with them, Galilee, Judea, every time, whether it was one or two or whether it was hundreds, You can imagine what he said, explaining the scriptures that this is this is what the Old Testament said I would do. So let's look at it for just the next few minutes. What did he tell them? Let's go into detail. First, the story. Again, look at verses 45 through 47. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it was written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name through all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. What was the first thing Jesus said when he opened their minds to understand the scriptures? He gave them the story of the gospel. He gave them the old, old story that was found throughout the Old Testament. He wasn't introducing a new story. He was saying, look at the scriptures of the Old Testament. This is what they said about me. And you can hear him. Think about it. He probably spoke to them from Isaiah 53. He said, don't you know what Isaiah said in the 53rd chapter? He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. It wasn't a Messiah going to a palace living victorious. It was a suffering Savior, a suffering Messiah. He probably went on from Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was saying, Matthew, John, Peter, those scriptures were talking about me, a suffering Savior. What would, he, what would Jesus say to us this morning? If he came and opened our minds to his word, what if we said, Jesus, just teach us your word. Tell us. You know what he would do? He would tell us the story. He would say the same thing. This is what is written. This is what the scriptures say. Look at it. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He will suffer and rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name. That's the story. That's the subject of all of Scripture. The chief story of Scripture is not how to handle your money. The chief story of Scripture is not about how to be happy. The chief story of Scripture is not about marriage. It's not about raising children. All of those subjects are in Scripture, but there is one central supreme story. Christ died, rose again from the dead, so that repentance and forgiveness of sins could even be preached in Fayette County 2,000 years later. A few years ago, a businessman... Sit down with me, a prominent businessman. Sit down with me and wanted to know the secret of how the church where we were was growing. He came from a nearby church and that church was stagnant, was not growing. He was not a minister. He was a leader in that specific church. And he wanted to know, he said, John, I just want you to tell me, why is this ministry growing? What, What are you guys doing? He wanted to know how we grew our various ministries, how we got our staff. He asked all kinds of questions. Why we did this at a certain time? Why we did that at a certain time? What was the secret to college and career? I answered all his questions as practically as I could. I knew that this man belonged to a church that did not preach the gospel. I knew that from that pulpit, he had never heard the gospel. He had never heard the story. And so after a while, he was taking those furiously. And and after a while, I stopped and I said, wait a minute. I said, you can do all those things that you've written down. I've answered your questions as best I could. You can do all these practical things. And it will not make any difference. I said, there's, there's, there's something that I must tell you. And he, he was prepared to write. He was looking at me just like this, like he was going, I'm going to hear something important now. And I said, The real secret to why we are growing is the message we preach, is a story we tell. Christ, the Son of God, invaded in the incarnation, came incarnate in the flesh. God invaded. And he was a son of God and son of man. And he came to die for our sins and to save us. This man looked at me. I never will forget it. He looked at me and he didn't write a single thing down. And as I looked at his eyes, I saw the eyes of a man that thought he had heard the most irrelevant thing that he had ever heard in his life. Didn't mean a thing. He then wanted to know the detail about preparing sermons, Bible lessons, how decided, what the subject would be for every message. And so I had an opportunity to say it once more. Over and over again, I said, the central story of the gospel is this. And it was sad. I knew that he would go back to his church and try to implement some of these practical things or things he saw as practical. A whole church a whole church in East Memphis. You could go there today and you would not hear the gospel. You could go there next Sunday and you would not hear the gospel. You'd go there next month, next year, unless the Lord changes it and puts somebody in the pulpit that preaches the gospel and they're going to hear it. Now, why is that important? You want to say, people say, our generation says, well, if they're going to church, at least they, they believe in God. That's not this God's, believing in God is not the story. The story is that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he was crucified for our sins. He took our sin, our guilt, our punishment on himself in the courtroom of God and died and was raised again from the dead. I'll tell you why. And I'm speaking now to myself and to Tyler, to to our elders, to Blake and to Mike. Bill, to our deacons, to Justin, Ron and Russ and Ronald, Tom, all the other, all the deacons. Listen to me. We've got to get the story right. Not just today and not just next week. But as long as this church stands on this property, we've got to get it right. Several years ago, I was reading a story about the railroad and the development of the railroad in this country. In the early days of the 20th century, there was a woman on a train headed west. Terrible, terrible snowstorm. She had a a newborn baby. She was going back west or going west to join her husband who had preceded her. And she kept telling the conductor as he came by, he'd say, don't let me miss my stop. The first time she'd been on the train. Don't let me miss my stop. And he said, ma'am, when it's your stop, I will come and I will get you. And tell you, you know, take you off of the train. Well, they, there was a, they came to a stop before it was her stop. And she knew that. And the people around her knew. Well, the train a little while later stopped. And the person across the aisle from her said, Ma'am, this is your stop. And she got up and got off. The conductor came by in a half an hour and said, Where's the the woman with the child? And the man across the aisle said, Well, she got off at at the last stop. And the conductor said, Then she got off. Tell me she didn't get off. He said, Well, she got off. He said, She got off to sudden death said the engine, we were just stopped. Something was wrong with the engine. We had stopped on the tracks. They backed the train, got volunteers off and searched for her, and they found her. She had died, frozen in this wasteland. The baby she had protected, the baby was still alive on her breast. You see, that man sitting there on that train had the story wrong. When you get the story wrong, people die. We can't afford to get the story wrong. It's got to be central, And you know what I'm saying. You've sat in churches where the story has not been told. It's crucial. Sometimes it's not only that the story must be told, it's hearing the story. That's why we pray before every time we assume the story is going to be told and told right in this place. We pray that God give us eyes to see and ears to hear, give us a mind to understand it. It's a twofold thing. He He not only empowers the preaching of the story, but He must empower the hearing. Another story. This is personal. In my first pastorate in Cedar Bluff, Virginia, there was I'd just been there a few months. I was leaving town for two days to go to a meeting. and There was a lady who was a charter member of that church. She was in her 90s. And I said, I'm going stop by and see her. I knew she was in very, very poor health, was not expected to live. And I said, I'm going to see her. So I stopped by on my way out of town. Went in and she greeted me. It was cordial. I told her I'd be away for two days. And she said, John, I know that I'm dying. She was in bed. I was, she was lying in bed. I was seated beside the bed. I was just, just this far from her. Never forget it. A charter member of that church. She had heard two of the greatest ministers that ever lived in that area. W. W. Airwood was the founder of that church, the founder of many churches in the, in the Appalachians. And then my mentor, one of my mentors, Dr. R.T.L. Liston, had been a pastor in that church. So she had heard two two great preachers for years and years. She looked at me and she said, John, I know I'm dying. I just hope I've done enough to be saved. I just hope I've done enough to please God. A woman who would listen to the gospel bring praise Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And she still thought that the story was, you do enough good and you'll be saved. You can't do enough good. And so one more time I read scripture with her, and one more time I told her the story. I called her by name and said, please trust in Jesus Christ. He did what you can't do. Nothing you do will take away your sins. And I walked out. Can you imagine sitting in church all your life and you come to die? In a few minutes, you're going to be before the Lord. And you say, I hope I've done enough. If that's you this morning... Go back to the hymn we sung just a few minutes ago. Nothing in my hymns i prayed, Not my good works. Nothing. No sermon I've preached. Nothing. Not my faithfulness to my wife. Not my faithfulness to the husband. Not my faithfulness to my children. You better come with the blood of Jesus Christ. Or you'll die. This is what haunted me. After 27 years of ministry in one church, toward the end of that, I began to realize I said, some of these, I've been the chief minister for many of these people for all their lives. I baptized them when they were babies in covenant baptism. I preached to them, I took them through a communicants class. Did I get the story right? Did I get the story right? It has not changed. It will never change. There's only one story. And it's a story that will save you. It will save your children. It will save your grandchildren. It will save your great-grandchildren. But there's only one story. Secondly, I want you to look at this and see the experience. Jesus looked at him and said, You are witnesses of these things. This was not only the story. You were witnesses. You were involved. You were participants in this. They were witnesses of the story. They had been players in the story. That's what he would say to us this morning. You've been players in the story. You're in church, aren't you? You know the story. You read your Bible. You pray. You're participants in it. You've experienced Jesus Christ. It's not that you just know the facts of the story. You've experienced it. There was a French writer, Honoré de Balzac. He he wrote a story about a brilliant chemist. This chemist was consumed with his scientific endeavors, his scientific experiments and studies. He ignored his family. He ignored his wife completely. She was just there for his convenience. She functioned that she was like a machine that functioned at his convenience. And one day he was analytically describing to her an experiment that he was so excited about, and he looked at her and tears just started flowing down her cheeks. She was just forlorn. And this this research chemist saw her tears, and he looked at her funny. He said, tears, tears. I've analyzed tears. Tears contain a little phosphate of lime, chloride of sodium, mucus, and water. He knew everything about tears and knew nothing about tears. The church is full of people who know the facts of the story but they have no personal experience with it. They've heard the story. They've never been weighted down with their sin, no conviction. They've never just melted before the cross and cried out for mercy. They hadn't sung in reality, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I bring, there's nothing else. Martin Luther said, the great reformer, said that even Satan knew Jesus was a Savior. He knew the facts, but he had never experienced it. Listen to the very personal terms that the Bible uses to describe our experience with Christ. All through Scripture, and I'm just going to use three. Psalm 2.12, he said, kiss the Son. How intimate is that? Kiss the Son. God invented the kiss. You know that? He did. Husbands, go home and kiss your wife. Wife, kiss your husband. Why? It's a sign of love, of intimate love. And what does he say? You kiss the Messiah. You kiss Jesus. Secondly, Jesus said, Love me more than you do your father, your mother, son, or daughter. Do you love Jesus more than you do your son or daughter? You love. See, we think that's just being hypothetical. No, no, no. He, he means that. If you love your son or daughter more than you love Jesus, that's idolatry. Jill is usually sitting here. My daughter is usually sitting here. She's went to church with her, with her daughter today. But if she was sitting here, I would say, you know what the Bible tells Jill? You know what Jesus says to her? Jill, do you love me more than you do your dad? Do you know what Jesus says to me? Do you love me more than you do, Jill? That's what he calls us to. That's the experience. And Paul, look at them in your scripture sheet. And get the last scripture that we'll look at in this regard in personal experience. He said, but whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ first. He said, I give up everything. Now, Paul had been a a very wealthy man. He was a man of huge education. He was a man of huge position. He said, give it all up for Christ. Knowing Christ is the most faithful. Then he said, knowing Christ, not just for Christ. He wasn't saying, oh, Christ is great. People will say that and not be saved. He said, knowing Christ, and it's the Greek word, gnosko, that like you know a friend. He said, I've given up everything. What if I said to you this morning, hey, who's your, who's your best friend? You say, Henry? Okay. I'll give you $14 if you'll kick Henry in the ditch. Oh, I wouldn't do that to Henry. No, 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 no. He's my friend. Well, I'll give you $1,000. Kick him in the ditch. No, wouldn't do it for $1,000. I'll give you $50,000 if you kick Henry in the ditch. Well, there's a little delay there. <laughs> but he's not going to kick Henry in the ditch. When I get up to $5 million, He's going to say, he's going to call Henry. Henry said, and say, Henry, I'm kicking our friendship in the ditch. I'm going to give you a million dollars, and I get four. Paul said, I won't trade Jesus for anything. Are you that desperate for Jesus Christ in your life? That's what Paul was saying that intimate experience with Jesus Christ. Well, the story, the experience, and the third thing he said, he said, you got the story? You've, been, you've, ex- you've experienced this, you're my witnesses. <clears throat> and then he spoke about the power. Look at verse 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't go tell the story until you have the power. Don't go tell of your personal experience until you have the power. Did these men know the story while they were waiting in Jerusalem? Yes, absolutely yes. Did they have the personal experience? Yes. Yet Jesus said that would not be enough. They would need the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at one scripture and we're done. It's Ephesians 3, 14. You know, you look at the coming of the Spirit in your life and, and you... And you think this is a one-time thing, and it is. When we're born again, he comes, he changes our heart, and he stays. But look at what Paul prays for the Ephesians. Just read it with me. Three, beginning with verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he's on his knees praying, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with hope, to be strengthened with love. No, to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So got, you know, the Holy Spirit's there, and he's bringing power so that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to, be comprehend, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He's praying. For them to be filled with power inside. And then he says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think according to power. He said, you have no idea what you can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll accomplish more than you could ever imagine. You see, it was a continuous thing. Being filled up with Christ. That we might bleed Christ. That we might live Christ. Christ that we might live the story, that we might live the experience, be saturated with it. That's what he was praying. Why do we keep why do we keep coming back here every Sunday? Why do we keep coming back to the word? Why do we keep coming back to this time? Is it just to check? I've done that, been to church. No, it's to remember the story and worship the God of the story, the Christ of the story. It's to remember the experience and to be renewed in that experience. It's to, it's to be reminded of the power and where the power comes from. See, Paul focused on what was on the inside. He said that you may be strengthened with power on the inside. What's inside of you this morning? Squeeze a sponge and what comes out. What are the sponges soaked up? If a sponge soaks up water, you squeeze the sponge, and this, the water will come out. If a sponge soaks up spilt juice, when you squeeze the sponge, the juice will come out. Nothing can come out of that sponge that hasn't been soaked into that sponge. Folks, we can't soak up self and self-centeredness, and pride. We can't soak up greed or soak up lust and soak up coveting and expect Christ to come out of our lives. We cannot soak up self-righteousness and expect grace to come out of our lives. We will give out what we absorb. The story, the experience, and the power. Amen. Our hymn is one we need to sing. Jesus paid it all.